hope you had a great afternoon today and uh, got some rest. And uh, let, me, let me ask again, how many of you got a nap today? All right, a few of you. Good for y'all. How many of you had coffee this afternoon to help compensate for not getting a nap? Anybody? All right. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Glad you're here. And uh, how many of you were here last week, last Sunday evening in the first night? Okay. Most everybody. Good. Well, uh, Brother Jamie's going to hand out a handout here. And uh, Bruce, can you help Jamie uh, real quick? Just get. Uh, we've got two sections of a handout tonight. Um, and everybody's a little different, so just kind of uh, letting you know what we're doing um, normally we produce blanks for this to where you can actually just take notes kind of freestyle and write down. But tonight and kind of the, the rest of the growth group, uh, this uh, series, uh, we're going to have a handout for you every single week that will actually have um, kind of the, the characteristics, some of the cautions, which we'll see tonight in uh, two of the spiritual gifts. Uh, but you'll get one of these, and if we... Uh, probably just need to start, Bruce, with just one per couple, if that's okay. And if we have extra, if you would like to get an extra, we can print off more copies. Um, but most of this, I think all of this that you're going to get tonight is coming directly from the resource that we started talking about last week, Ministering uh, Through Your Spiritual Gift. Uh, it's a book written by Dr. Charles Stanley. It's out. We have several extra copies. Uh, we made uh, comments last week. If you got one of the original books... Um, we have switched the books. Uh, the deeper into the book we got, we realized, I eh, probably shouldn't have recommended that one specifically. Um, so we've switched the books. If you purchase one of the books um, and you would like to get the new book, it will not cost you anything extra. Um, you can pick that up. We have several copies that are out on the table. You can pick that up on the way out. If you still need to purchase one or you would like to purchase one, I think they're $10. Uh, so not an expensive book. Uh, but you can get this. It's very practical, very easy to understand. Uh, Dr. Stanley's teaching, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen any of his books where they were super, super deep. Um, but um, deep in understanding, yes, but not hard to read. So um, if you'd like to get one of those, they're available for you uh, in the back table. You can pick one tonight. But these three pages that you've got stapled together uh, will kind of give you a breakdown. And we'll go through this, uh, not word for word, but we'll give you a uh, kind of an explanation as we go through tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter number 12. If you want to go ahead and take your Bible and turn there. Uh, we see we're going to look last week, if you were not here last week or weren't able to be here last week, uh, we kind of gave an overview of the entire study uh, in uh, our study on spiritual gifts. We talked about the multiple places uh, where they are mentioned in the scripture. You've got Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. So they're kind of scattered uh, around um, and we gave a broad overview of all of the gifts uh, just kind of a 30,000-foot view. Tonight, we're going to look uh, kind of from the roof of the house. Uh, instead of 30,000 feet, we're zooming in now uh, and just kind of give you a, a topical view of two of the gifts, um, two of these gifts, and then we'll go through uh, the rest of them in the next coming weeks. Uh, the gift of prophecy and the gift of ministry uh, are two gifts that we see, and we'll talk about them tonight, but uh, you see them exercised every week on a Sunday or on a Wednesday in the church. You see them uh, very evident 
uh, in our church. And so we'll talk through them, and, and you will most likely, uh, as we read through some of the characteristics, you'll most likely be thinking of people in the church, or maybe people you know and say, oh man, that's their spiritual gift, I just know it. Uh, you'll be able to pinpoint some of these things as we talk through. So Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6, and, and let me just say, just totally separate from the study, um, we are already looking at the next growth group, some material for the next growth group. If you have a suggestion or something, say, hey, I think this would be a, make a great study, whether it's a small group or uh, it's the main auditorium in uh, mine or Pastor Tim or Pastor John's uh, teaching. If there's something, maybe you've gone through a personal study that you've done yourself or maybe with a small group Bible study, please let us know that. Uh, we're always looking for fresh things, fresh ideas. And so we have a long list of things that have been recommended in the past to us uh, from surveys that we've done here at the church. But if you have something that you just say, man, this, I think this would be a really big help to our church family, uh, please share it with us. We'd love to know. Okay, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse number 6. Let's look at two of the gifts tonight uh, as we jump back in. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 12, verse 6, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Prophecy and ministry. A lot of times you'll see prophecy and you might see ministry uh, and I may say tonight serving. They're the same gift, uh, the gift of ministry, the gift of service. Uh, but let's deal first with the gift of prophecy. All right, right out of the book, uh, Dr. Ch uh, Charles Stanley began the chapter with a couple questions. All right, and what we're trying to do is determine without you taking a spiritual gift test, which we'll have at the last week. Everybody can take that and you'll know exactly what your spiritual gift is. Uh, but Dr. Stanley asked a few pinpoint questions on maybe you can determine without taking a test what your spiritual gift is. Here's the questions that he asked about prophecy. All right, here we go. Do you find that you can't remain quiet or sit still when you are hearing a lie or in the presence of evil? Do you have a clear-cut understanding of what God considers to be right and wrong? And if you answered yes uh, to those you may have the gift of prophecy. Now, we would think prophets, and we would think, oh, man, that's Elijah or Elisha or uh, somebody in the Old Testament who's uh, been dead thousands of years. Uh, if you have the gift of prophecy, which still exists, uh, the gift of prophecy means uh, is given to those who simply speak the truth. Speak the truth. And we'll talk about uh, some of their nature. But when you think of that, uh, the gift of prophecy is not the foretelling of events, like I'm going to tell you what's going to happen a thousand years from now, uh, it's the forthtelling of events. I'm telling you what I know is true. I'm sharing the truth. Uh, somebody who simply says the truth and uh, they see things in clear black and white. There's no uh, room for error. There's no wiggle room. It has to be straightforward, right and wrong narratives. And Peter is a great example of a New Testament prophet, and we'll see that uh, throughout this segment on spiritual gifts. What are some of those things? Uh, Subpoint there is the nature of the spiritual gift, and those three things that are mentioned are honesty, confrontation, and defense. Uh, Peter wasn't perfect. We all know that. Uh, Peter was one who uh, spoke first and thought about what he was saying after the fact, uh, but 
several key truths he had about the gift of prophecy that we see in Scripture in the book of Acts. And remember the analogy of the glass of milk that we talked about last week, the seven different people sitting around the table, and each one had the different spiritual gifts. Uh, the one with the gift of prophecy, as you spill your milk, he would say, well, you know, if you'd have been more careful, you wouldn't have spilled that milk. Uh, speaking truth. You know, if you would have done this and this, it would have prevented it from even happening. If you would have seen that rug on the floor, you wouldn't have tripped over it in the first place. Uh, the, the prophet, the gift of prophecy, spiritual gift, uh, speaks the truth. But what are some of the natures? First, we see the gift of prophecy requires prophets to be honest about themselves and seek correction for their errors. Uh, remember the story in Luke chapter number 5 when Jesus uh, came to the seashore and he asked them if they'd caught any fish. And they said, no, we've been out all night long. I'm paraphrasing. Been all night long and haven't caught anything. And Jesus says, launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a draught. And Peter says, hey, nevertheless, uh, just because you said so, Jesus, I'll let down one net. Singular. Jesus said, let down your nets, knowing they would need nets. And Peter said, well, just to pacify you, I'll let down one. Okay? And what happens? They fill the net. The boat starts to sink. Uh, bring in the greatest haul that they've ever had. And immediately right after catching the greatest haul they've ever had, Jesus says, follow me. And they leave their nets behind. And they follow Jesus. Now, what happens four verses later is the significance of what we're talking about. Right after all of it happened, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And there's some significance there because uh, why would he fall down at Peter's knees or at Jesus' knees? Uh, some people say, well, you know, that's as far down as he could get because the entire boat was full of fish. And the only thing sticking out of the boat was Jesus' knees. Possible. Uh, maybe Jesus was sitting down in the boat. And he, when he fell, he was at Jesus' knees. But whatever the reason, uh, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognized that he was wrong. He recognized that he was the one in error, and he owned it owned it for himself. He didn't try and, well, you know, um, I, we had this night and that's why. I did. He didn't try to defend his reasoning. He simply said, I was wrong and owned it. And prophets, a gift of prophecy, will point out their own errors. If you have that gift, you'll have a hard time eating the fact that you did wrong. You'll most likely have to share it and own up and fess to it. So that's the first thing. Number two, the gift of prophecy leads people to confront evil hypocrisy, error, and false conclusions. Remember at Pentecost, uh, the followers of Jesus, uh, of Jesus were accused of being drunk with wine when they began speaking in tongues. And uh, all of these people were speaking in languages that they were like, I thought they were from Galilee. Why are they talking uh, with that different dialect and that different tongue? And they were accused by uh, the false teachers uh, that they were speaking in different tongues and they were drunk. All right, but in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, the other apostles, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye supposed, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. He said, Hey, it's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. There's another reason. And he says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to tell them the prophecy from. Joel, that people would come and they would speak truth as prophets after the Messiah had come. And at the end of the message, 3,000 people come to know Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, so this is a massive day for the first early church. And Peter could have kept quiet, but he immediately addressed their 
belief. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? If I don't say something, I'm just going to bust. You got to say something. That's a prophet. A prophet says, man, I have to speak up about this. I can't keep quiet. Uh, Number three, the gift of prophecy is often voiced as a defense of the church, God's people, God's programs, or God's nature. Acts chapter 3. Remember, all these things are Peter's life. Uh, So we're seeing very clear cut that Peter may have had the gift of prophecy because all these things line up. Acts chapter 3 and verse 12 Right after the first miracle by the apostles, remember the man who was lame? Peter and John are walking in uh, beside the gate that was called Beautiful. And the man said, hey, I I need help. And he said, hey, we don't have anything to give you. Uh, Silver and gold have I none. uh, But such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what does the man do? He stands, jumps up. Immediately his uh, ankle bones were strengthened. He jumps up and jumping up and down and he starts praising God. That didn't sit well with a lot of people. Uh, And in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, after people are criticizing what's happened, he says, when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? He says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Genuine prophets advocate for the work of the Lord and will never take credit for what God does. Peter didn't say, yeah, we're pretty gifted. We spent a lot of time with Jesus and he gifted us. With... No, no, no. He said, this is all a work of God. Uh, it, this is the Lord's doing. Psalm 118.23, it is marvelous in our eyes. This isn't our work. What God is trying to do in our lives is not a work of us, it's a work of God. And those with the gift of prophecy will not take credit for what God does. Peter said, it's not our credit, Uh, you need to praise and glorify God. And even chides them to the point of saying, hey, is this a small thing? I mean, do you not expect God to do miraculous things uh, in our lives and in around us? So, Peter pointed people to Jesus and was content with that, knowing that, hey, I don't need the credit. As long as Jesus is exalted and he's lifted up, that's sufficient. I remember Paul, he said, whether in pretense uh, he, uh, to the church of Galatia, he said, there's some guys running around that are preaching and they've got the wrong spirit. Uh, they're talking about things that, uh, talking about Jesus, but they're doing it in such a way that's uh, really not encouraging, but rather it's discouraging. But then he stopped and said, but you know what, whether in pretense, if it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, I rejoice and will rejoice. Why? That Christ is preached. He said, I, I'm, that might not be my style. Uh, let's make it 2023. Uh, that might not be my flavor. Uh, that might not be my style of ministry. Uh, that might be a little hellfire and brimstone, but I'm more of a teachy person. Uh, you know, I like, I like the soft tone of a, of a teacher, the monotone. Uh, you know, it, that might be my flavor, but... Paul said, regardless, if Christ is preached, I'm going to rejoice. If Christ is lifted up, I'm going to be excited about that. Now, we have former pastors, if my count is correct, eight, eight former pastors in our church right now. We all preach differently. (laughs) Uh, We all have different styles, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, We all have a different flair in the pulpit, and there's nothing wrong with any of them because we're all on the same page when it comes to doctrine. We all preach 
Christ crucified and raise him up. But how often do we take credit for the things that God has done? Uh, we get a blessing in our life and uh, it's really easy for us to say, man, yeah, I did do that. Uh, that was something that I did. And instead, it's God that does the work. He uses channels like us, but he uses us as a channel of blessing, not as the instrument itself. So the first three natures uh, are mentioned there, and they are honesty, confrontation, and defense. But what about the last two? Uh, the last two. We see that there are two additional ones, and I, I'm not sure the breakdown. Dr. Stanley breaks them down, but uh, the last two are courage and revelation. Courage and revelation. Uh, so you can number them three, one, and two, or four and five. But first, uh, the gift of prophecy functions without regard to personal consequences for the prophets. Uh, prophets will speak the truth. They won't take credit for it. Uh, they will confront evil, hypocrisy, error. Uh, they will own their own mistakes. And then they will function without regard to personal consequence. Uh, remember in Acts uh, chapter number 4, uh, Peter and John were preaching in Jesus' name and they were criticized for it. And they were told, hey, you don't preach in Jesus' name. It, it, we don't like that. Uh, you're not going to teach and preach in Jesus' name. And what does he say? Acts chapter 14, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. They said, Is it better for us to listen to what you're saying or follow God's instruction? And then they said, But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They didn't care what happened to them. And that was evident throughout the rest of their lives. Both of them died martyrs' deaths. But when you look at that, they were more concerned with speaking the truth than their own personal gain or welfare. They didn't care about what happened. They simply said, is it the right thing to do? What we're doing right now, is it the right thing to do? And if it's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter what happens to us. We're going to simply do what's right. Never wrong to do right. So we see that they said, we don't care about our personal gain. The next thing, the gift of prophecy, reveals the character and motives of others, especially those motives that are deceitful or hypocritical. And a great story in Acts chapter number 5. Remember when uh, Peter is in the church and they encountered the end of chapter number 4, a man named Barnabas who sold all of the things that he had and brought them and laid them at the apostles' feet and it was distributed. The very first uh, mention of welfare that we see in the scripture, it wasn't a government assistant program. It was the church. The church was welfare. What we would see today in our culture, it was the church. And people would come to the church and the church would help assist needs. And we call that today benevolence. All right, We do that benevolent needs and benevolent care. But Acts chapter 4 ends with Barnabas doing this great thing. Acts chapter 5 begins hearing about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. All right, Why did they do what they did? did because they saw Barnabas at the end of chapter 4 sell his property and lands and he got exalted and Ananias and Sapphira said we want a piece of that and we want some of that so what did they do they went out sold a piece of land and when it was brought to the temple they said let's keep back a part of it for ourselves and we'll still have people pat us on the back and praise us so when they bring it to the temple, they come separate times. Ananias comes in. Peter says, how much did you sell it for? And they gave them the false amount. And Peter, in Acts chapter number 5, 
Verse number three says, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. He said, why are you even doing this? This makes no sense. Why would you do it? You could have sold it. You could have kept it. But instead, Ananias, you lied about it. And we see that this prophet is willing to make personal sacrifice and say, you don't, we would rather you not even have it than for you to lie to God about it. He exposes Ananias' sin, but while doing so, he reveals the character and motives of other people. He points out what is wrong, because that's a prophet's responsibility, gift of prophecy. We speak out against uh, error, but it also came at the behest of Ananias' character. So when we look at those five things, the nature of the prophet, but then we see the characteristics of a prophet. All right, so we have nature first, and then second thing, we see the characteristics of a prophet, and that's on page two of your handout tonight, the characteristics. Uh, What are some of the characteristics of a prophet? First, genuine prophets are willing to be broken by God so they can be more closely conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where it kind of gets real practical, all right, for the gift of prophecy. Uh, what are some of the things that a prophet will be known by? They're willing to be broken by God so that they can be more closely conformed to the likeness of Christ. Now, we know this happened in Peter's life over and over. He was confronted by Jesus and he responds correctly. Uh, but remember when Peter denied the Lord. Remember, uh, he's denying, denying, third time, deny, cursing, trying to even change his speech so that hey, I'm not even going to be remotely identified with Jesus. The rooster crows. He looks over, makes eye contact with Jesus, remembers what Jesus had said. Before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. He goes out and he weeps bitterly, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 It says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance. Peter had to be confronted for God to use him in a great way. If Peter would have just thought, oh my goodness, there was, well, Jesus is going to die. I guess there's no big deal. God could not have used Peter in a great way because there was no repentance. God convicted Peter's heart to where he had to make things right. And when he did... God was able to use him in a miraculous way. Remember, it's Peter who got up and preached at Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. It wasn't John. It wasn't James. It was Peter, the one who denied Christ. God used him in a special way. A.W. Tozer said this. This is one of my favorite quotes. God cannot use a man greatly until he hurts that man deeply. God cannot use a man greatly, or women. God cannot use a man or woman greatly. Before he hurts that person deeply. How can we expect for God to use us if we have an easy life? You look at every great believer. You think about the song we mentioned last Sunday, It Is Well With My Soul. How did that song come about? Out of tragedy. Four daughters losing their lives, drowning. And God births something beautiful out of something tragic. Does that mean that if uh, God, that God's going to take my children from me for Him to be able to use me? Not necessarily. But it also doesn't mean that we should expect our life to be easy and God to use us because we've had a cushy life. We should expect there to be 
hardships. We should expect there to be trials. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. He said to the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. You and I are going to be offended at some point. Don't be shocked. Well, I can't believe what they said. That was offensive. And we act like it's some big surprise. Yet Jesus said it was going to happen. It's impossible but that, for that offenses to come. It's going to happen. Uh, Dad used to say, put on your big boy britches and get over it. Um, so we understand as we choose to honor the Lord in our lives, it is inevitable for us to be hurt by others. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. We tell people every single membership meeting we have, every next steps meeting we have, where we're talking about membership with somebody who's questions about the church, and uh, you know, we're just trying to figure out if this is where uh, our family needs to be planted and where we can serve and all these different things. Every single meeting, this is said. This is Heath and Michelle, and at some point, we will let you down. At some point, whether it's a text message that doesn't get sent back or a phone call that doesn't get made, or an appointment that's missed, whatever, at some point we will let you down because we're human. And before we're all shocked, I can't believe the pastor. Uh, let's just remember, we're all made of the same stuff. And at some point, we'll all let each other down. Well, I just can't believe that they would fill in the blank. We're all guilty. We're all guilty because we're all flesh. It's not an excuse, but it's the truth. And we all have times where we let each other down. But the end result should produce a greater trust and confidence in the Lord. When those things happen, it should draw us closer to Him. Uh, remember 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, or excuse me, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, uh, verse 2, three, 2 through 5, or verse 3 through 5, uh, where it's talking about God being the God of all comfort. Why is why does he comfort? Turn there, uh, Romans uh, or Second Corinthians chapter number one. This this goes with this thought, and I just want to touch on it and move on. Second Corinthians one verse three. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now that's amazing. Uh, if it was just that verse, that would be comforting to know that He comforts those who are hurting. But keep reading in verse 4. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Now, if you stop there, that'd be a comfort. Hey, he is going to comfort me. When I'm hurting, when I'm in a trial, he is going to comfort me. But look at verse number 4 again. Comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. I see in those three verses, number one, I'm not going to have an easy life. Number two, I shouldn't expect an easy life. Number three, when God comforts me, there's a purpose behind it. And out of that comfort, God expects me to share that comfort with someone else who is hurting. How does the world see that we're different? Really, how does the world see that we're different than they are? Because when we're hurting, 
we have someone to go to who provides us comfort that the world knows nothing of. Have you ever been to a funeral of somebody who's lost? And there's no hope whatsoever? And the people who are sitting there know they're never going to see that person ever again. And then you contrast that with someone who loses a loved one who's saved. And they know where they are and they know that they're going to get to see them again. They know they're going to be reunited. And there's comfort there. Remember Paul said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. There's comfort found in our Savior. And someone who has the gift of prophecy is willing to be hurt. Lord, if that's what it takes, I'm willing, the old hymn, for whatever it takes, for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. Someone with the gift of prophecy is willing to be broken by God so they can be more closely conformed to the likeness of Christ. Number two, prophets are persuasive and do their utmost to evoke change. Now, Peter spoke uh, in the message on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40. Uh, He said, with many other words, he testified and exhorts, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, it means crooked, uh, from this crooked generation. He spoke out and said, I'm, I'm trying to evoke change. I'm trying to get you to think. He wasn't interested in starting an argument. He wanted to speak the truth. And he was trying to get them to see truth. And it speaks to me in the fact of if you're trying to talk to somebody about the Lord and the only reason that you have is to win, it's the wrong reason. Well, man, I, I got I to gotta take them over here to Ezekiel and I got to take them over here and, and I got to take them to Proverbs and I got to take them here. and I gotta, Why don't I just give them the truth? Why not just tell them, this is what Jesus did for me and he can do the same thing for you. And give them the truth of God's word and let God do his work. Well, pastor, I know 48 different verses to convince them. You're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to simply share the truth. Period. I've been on visitation with some guys who were just convinced they had to walk away from that conversation and be like, man, I showed them my biblical knowledge. Yeah, and they're never going to talk to anybody else about the gospel ever again. You might have won the argument, but you lost the convert. You lost the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Maybe close the door forever for anybody else to talk to them. It's not about winning the argument. It's about sharing the truth. Hey, I don't want to hear that. Okay, I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm just trying to tell you what Jesus has done for me. He's changed my life. And if that's something that you're interested in, I think he could do the same for you. See, we're not trying to ram it down somebody's throat. We're not Westwood or Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas, okay, where we pick it and God hates all these things. No, we're simply speaking the truth in what, church? Love. In love. And that is what the world needs from the church. They need to know that you can have both. All right? If you have truth, but you don't have love, it comes across as harsh. If you have love, but you don't have truth, it comes across as too soft. You have to have both. Speaking the truth in love. All right? A third, prophets demonstrate a strong dependence on Scripture. That should go without saying. A prophet is not sharing his own words, but he's sharing words other than his. And if you see in the Bible several portions of Scripture in the Old Testament, there were false prophets 
who were talked about, and they were either sharing the words of a king or they were sharing their own agenda to someone else for their own purpose. A true prophet will found, find his truth from the word of God. And you can determine a real prophet or not based where did your word come from. I'll give you a beautiful example, 2023. All right, How many of you have ever heard about a very popular book called the Koran? All right. Uh, do you know how the Koran came about? The prophet Muhammad said that an angel visited him and gave him the words to write down that make up the Koran. Now, let's think about this. A guy comes to you and says, an angel visited me and gave me this book. Something seems fishy right off the get-go. And it contradicts itself again and again and again. You think, well, so the only way to have peace is to murder anybody who doesn't believe just like we do. That doesn't sound like something that I want to be a part of. Yet, Muhammad and all the followers of the Quran believe that, hey, Muhammad got this vision from an angel. And the only way that we know that it's true is Muhammad says so. I don't buy that. But we look at the scripture and say, man, scripture validates scripture. And we have not only God's word, we have history that lines up with scripture and validates the teachings of this book. So we don't just have one person saying, this is what the angel told me. Rather, we have one Savior who disseminated out information to 40 different people and all of their writings overlap seamlessly. That can only be an act of God. And that's what we have in the Bible. We have God's word. But prophets demonstrate a strong dependence on Scripture. Number four, prophets are often bold and direct. <laughs> oh, I don't have time here. Uh, Peter spoke in Acts chapter 4 and verse number 10 uh, in this message after they said, Hey, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus again. And Peter barks back. Uh, I can see Peter, you know, bony finger and, uh, you know, young and bold. And he says, be it known unto y'all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. And let's not remember who it was that put him on the cross. Whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Not afraid to ruffle feathers. Uh, not afraid to disrupt the social norms, to simply tell the truth. Prophets are often bold and direct. Number five, and the last thing under prophets. Fifthly, prophets offer answers that may seem simplistic. Now, prophets, uh, someone with the gift of prophecy will get directly to the point. You don't have to worry about them sugarcoating information. Uh, but Peter said in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 4, he said, uh, paraphrasing, you haven't lied to men. Uh, remember Ananias? You haven't lied to us, Ananias. You lied to God. You didn't lie to me. You lied to God. Uh, so with all of these things, all right, uh, speaking the truth, all of these things, uh, answers that seem simplistic, uh, getting their message directly from God's Word, uh, maybe you know someone. Some Man, I, I know my 
uncle, brother, sister, friend. Gift of prophecy. All right, there's number one. All right, number two. All right, the second gift is the gift of ministering. Ministering, service, uh, the gift of ministry, uh, someone who serves with no concern. Uh, if somebody jumps in to help them or not, uh, they just say, hey, I, I want to serve. I want to serve. What stands out about this gift? Remember, we talked about the glass of milk illustration last week. Uh, the prophet says you should have been more careful speaking the truth. The minister is not even waiting for somebody to bring a mop, they're already over there picking up the glass and they're already making sure they've got a rag and they're taking care. Hadn't even been asked, but they're over there serving, serving. What are some things about the nature of the servant? Uh, we see three, first three things. We see awareness, joy, and drive. Awareness, joy, and drive. Uh, Dr. Stanley says, are you motivated to pursue practical area of service to others? Are you concerned with the practical and tangible work associated with the project? Do you enjoy doing things with your hands and in association with other people? All right, how do those tie in? First, those with the gift of service have an awareness of other people's needs and a desire to meet those needs. The gift of prophecy is seen in, in Peter. The gift of service is found in Timothy. Timothy, you know, remember Paul's protege, his young son in the faith? He spoke to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, and said, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He said, The only person that I know that will care for you the way that I will is Timothy. It's Timothy. Uh, he called him the son, his son in the faith. In first, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 1, he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So Timothy is a man of character. Uh, he was concerned with others, looked out for those above himself. So the first thing is they have an awareness of other people's needs and a desire to meet them. Second thing, those with the gift of service experience true joy in helping others. And this is the primary experience, true joy in helping others. Uh, Timothy didn't dread, oh, Paul texted me again and needs my help. No, it wasn't that. He said, hey, it's a joy to serve. It's a privilege to serve. I don't have to help. I get to help. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17? Uh, Paul said, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus Timothy, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in the church. This is something that he does, just like I would. He's a joy, and he does it joyfully. He's faithful in the Lord. He wanted to help Paul, and he wanted to help others. So right out of the get-go, know somebody, with a gift of ministry, know somebody with a gift of service, uh, somebody who just stands out, man, I know that part, they got, they got it going on. Uh, that's why we talk about next steps, by the way. If you are uh, somebody with the gift of ministry, somebody with the gift of service, uh, you'll see hear next steps and say, man, I need to help them take their next step, and man, they need to, they need to take a step, and I can see it in them. Man, I'm, I'm going to reach out to them this week and text them and see if we can have coffee and we can try and get together and talk about their next you're already thinking of who you can minister to, the gift of ministry. Third, uh, those with the gift of service, ministry, are driven to meet other people's needs and may overextend their own strength. May overextend their own strength. They say, Pastor, what does that mean? You may get in too deep. All right? Uh, we don't know anybody who's done that. Uh, Timothy was a servant to the detriment of his own personal health. 
Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, when Paul said, Drink no longer water, but a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And culturally, different culture there, beverages, different beverages. But some commentators believe that Timothy battled stomach ulcers brought on by stress. And that Paul said, hey, Timothy, if you can't handle the water, man, you might need to get something that will help you. Because it's not right that you live under this stress and strain of the ministry. So Timothy, instead of saying, hey, I'm just going to take a a sabbatical. I'm going to take three months off. He's powering through it. He's just trying to tough tough it out. Um, My kids the other day, they have a new fascination uh, for uh, exercise. And uh, we've, got a, we've got a YouTube video that Michelle is helping them work through and everything. And uh, I was sitting, working on a Lego. Imagine that. Uh, working on a Lego while they're exercising. Um, and so I'm listening to the conversation that's going on. And I can hear the instructor on the video talking and everything. And, and I'm in the other room. And uh, I hear Kinsley, all right, Kinsley. She said, I don't need to work out. I'm already skinny. And it was like. Okay, that didn't go over well. Uh, but I, I hear over, over and over, push through, push through, push. Uh, but the downside of the gift is that people may be so focused on helping others that they neglect their own emotional, physical, spiritual needs in the process. They're so focused on helping somebody else that they can't see that, hey, we, I have needs. I need to help myself. I don't need to be so ragged that I can't be a help at all. I don't need to be so in tune. You think about, there. Are, all of us have needs, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but all of us have needs. But we all need to be cognizant of the fact that just because you have a need doesn't mean that everybody needs to know about it. Just because somebody else around you could help meet your need doesn't mean that you share it. There needs to come to a point where we say, you know what, I'm going to rely on the Lord to help meet my needs. And if he doesn't provide, I might not need it met that way. It's not for me to go and say, hey, Bruce, you pray for me because I, I got this bill I got to pay this week. And uh, Brother Rich, you, because sometimes we do that, and it sounds like we're fishing. It sounds like I'm trying to find somebody who's a, you know, a sucker, for lack of a better word, who's willing to bail me out of my own inefficiency to steward what God's given me. We need to be careful. But we all have needs. But we have to be careful when we're helping others that we don't hurt ourselves in the process. I believe that there is a, a biblical, scriptural thing for making sure that we're being a blessing to others. I believe that. But we also have to know where our own line is and not overextend ourselves. Uh, The first three natures. The second three natures are validation, community, and adequacy. First, those with the gift of service have a need to be appreciated. Now, let me stop time out here and just say, this is not that they're fishing for a compliment. This is not someone, well, I want everybody to brag on me, and I want to know. Here's what it is. They want to know that what they're doing is helping somebody. All right? They want to know that what they're doing is a blessing. They need to hear it. They need those words of affirmation. They need, and it doesn't have to be anything fantastic. Hey, thank you so much. You're being a help to me. And that 
boosts the morale of the person who is a minister. It's someone who simply just goes out of their way and says, hey, I just want to say thank you. Whether it's a thank you note, a text, a letter, a phone call, I just wanted to say thank you. That really helped. You have no idea how much that meant to me during that season of my life. That says a lot to somebody with this need. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10, Now if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. And in verse 11 he said, Let no man therefore despise him. Hey, don't let anybody talk bad about Timotheus, but rather build him up. Uh, somebody who's a minister will most likely focus on short-term needs and helps rather than long-term needs and helps. You know, somebody says, man, I, I just got, can you give me a ride tomorrow? Sure, I can give you a ride tomorrow. Hey, you know, my car's going to be in the shop for three months. Can you give me a ride to work every day for the next three months? Ah, you might need to call somebody else. Somebody with the gift of ministry wants to see that immediate, hey, I was a blessing and I got to see the outcome. I, I got to see what happened. But the gift of leadership and administration says, I'm in this thing for the long haul. And I can strategize and I can get this kid to school at this time and I can get my wife to do this. And They strategize it all and they can wait for the outcome. Somebody with the gift of ministry, they need to see, hey, I was a blessing to that person right away. Not prideful, just practical. Uh, second, those with the gift of service have a strong desire to be with others in community. Now think about this. How many of you know somebody who is a loner? You know somebody, uh, say, man, pastor, they're not a loner, but they should be. No, that's all I'm talking about. Uh, so you know somebody who is a loner, all right? Somebody who works well by themselves. Leave them alone. Don't mess with them. People with the gift of ministry typically are not loners. They like working together with somebody else. Why? Because ministry was never meant to be done alone. Remember when Jesus sent out the disciples? He said, hey, you guys, I want you to go out. If you're watching the chosen season two, uh, you know, the end of season two, sends them out. He didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. Ministry was never meant to be done alone. And the gift of ministry, for someone with the gift of ministry, they're going to struggle doing it by themselves. They'll have to have somebody that they can reach out to, somebody they can talk to, somebody that they can gather strength and encouragement from. You notice that every time Timothy's mentioned, almost every time Timothy's mentioned in the Bible, he's always mentioned with somebody else. He's rarely mentioned alone. Now, Paul speaks to him. You know, first and second Timothy, he's talking directly to him in those two letters. But when he's mentioned other places, most of the time, he's got somebody with him. Uh, in uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, it says, And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timotheus, there he is, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. See, they're not about seeing their names in the spotlight, but they do want to work with others. They want to see, hey, this is a team effort. I, I talked to a local pastor this past week, met him, and I, I'd never spent uh, a great amount of time with this guy. and had a great lunch and very encouraging time. And we were talking about church planning and church plan planning philosophy and how it's changed over the last 50 to 60 years. The church planning philosophy of yesteryear 
uh, was guy gets a burden for a particular place. He goes and with his family and they plan a church and they just, man, they're going to work, 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 work and make ministry their life and they're going to build it from the ground up alone. That is not the current model of church planning today. You know what is? I'm going to get three or four of my closest friends and we're going to work together and we're going to work off of, feed off of each other for encouragement. And we're going to see God do a work. The gift of ministry, it's coming out. Hey, I've got to feed off other people. I've got to get that help. And that's a part of the gift. And third, those with the gift of service often feel unqualified and inadequate for ministry. And let me just say this. That should be a no-brainer with any spiritual gift. The minute you feel like you have arrived, you should probably quit. Because none of us are too good for what we do. There's not a person in this building tonight that couldn't say, you know what, I'll go back to one of those bathrooms and clean the toilet. Including this guy. Hey, don't get too big for your britches. Because we get to that point and God will bring us down to size and show us who we really are. Hey, the greatest among you, what did Jesus say? The greatest among you is the servant. The greatest among you. You know how our nation has got to the place that it's gotten politically? Because we have a lot of people who want a title and they've done nothing to earn it. We have a lot of people walking around who want entitlement and want rights, but they haven't done anything to fight for them. And it's the same thing with servant. Hey, Jesus gave the principle a long time ago and said, if you're going to be a great leader, first you have to learn how to serve. In my era, when guys were coming out of Bible college, they wanted to be a pastor right away because they wanted the salary, they wanted the insurance, they wanted the retirement package, they wanted the car allowance, they wanted the house allowance. They wanted all of these things. Why? Because I went to four years of Bible college and I deserve it. You hadn't done anything. You went to four years of college. Big whoop. Millions of people do it every year. You haven't earned anything. The recommendation today is you go and you work at least on one. Aiden, you go and at least work at one church. At least one before you take that next step. Because we all need to learn what it's like to serve. Serve. Before we lead, we have to serve. And people in ministry with the spiritual gift of ministry, not, not people in ministry, people with the spiritual gift of ministry will say, I'm totally fine with that. As long as I get to minister, I'm okay with that. D.L. Moody said, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. Here's five cautions to guard against and we'll be done. If you have the spiritual gift of ministry, you feel like, man, this is, this is uh, Pastor, I'm mowing what you're growing. I know exactly this is my spiritual gift. I, I know that this is me. All right? Here's five cautions. All right? And we've touched on them briefly. Just let me drive them home. Number one, you have to guard against becoming discouraged if others fail to appreciate your service. If, you, if it's been a while since somebody has said thank you, for something you've done and that's your spiritual gift, man, guard against that. Guard against that. Um, already mentioned servants like to know that they're appreciated. 
but what about when it's not mentioned? What if it's overlooked? Remember Colossians chapter 3, verse 23? Uh, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We're not looking for somebody that I can see to say thank you. We serve for the audience of one. We worship for the audience of one. We live for the audience of one. And if Jesus is pleased, it says in verse 24, for you serve the Lord Christ. Would we be faithful if he was the only one watching? We serve for him, period. Other people receive a benefit from service, but we serve him. So caution number one. Number two, those with the gift of service must guard against doing so much for others that they never give others an opportunity to give in return. All right, here's a big one. If I'm serving chance and I have the gift of ministry and he does and I'm always the one who's serving him, it's robbing him of a blessing to feed into his spiritual gift. Now, if you don't have that spiritual gift, it's not a big deal to you. But if you're serving others with that gift of ministry, it's a big deal to them. Man, why won't they let me do anything? You ever, you ever heard somebody say that, don't rob me of a blessing? Hey, don't you, you're not going to rob me of a blessing. You're not, you're not going to stop me from doing this. Hey, ministry, spiritual gift, service. You could rob someone of an opportunity by serving too much. Rob somebody of that opportunity to serve and live out of their spiritual gift by you serving too much. Third, those with the gift of service must be sensitive to what God is attempting to teach another person. We already talked about that. What if God is trying to teach a lesson to someone and you and I are too quick to serve? We jump in. And just because you can step in doesn't mean that you should right away. Sometimes God might be trying to develop someone's character or patience or humility and if you and I jump in immediately it causes them to miss out on what God may be trying to do in their heart and life so be cautious number four they must remain attentive to personal spiritual growth and to the disciplines of prayer praise and the reading of the scripture say what in the world it's found in the story of Mary and Martha This is the Mary-Martha syndrome. All right? Jesus, tell Mary to get off her do-nothing and do something. Because I'm the one in here doing all the work. Don't you know that you're not going to get hot bread in five minutes if she doesn't come in here and help me? And what is Jesus? Martha, Martha. We read this scripture in staff meeting from time to time. Uh, But uh, Martha, Martha. And it is possible to be so busy sitting, or serving, excuse me, that you overlook sitting. It is not spiritually healthy for you to serve every single service and never be under the preaching of God's Word. It is not spiritually healthy. And I know, I know sometimes you, you got to do what you got to do, but long term, it is not good. Sometimes we need to sit and let our hearts be refilled. Sometimes we need that Sabbath rest. Sometimes we need that time where we can get poured back into. I'm thankful that Crossroads has a a long history of a place that is a safe environment for people to come and rest. People who have been hurt by ministry. People who have been hurt 
by the past. People have been hurt by failures. People have been hurt by things that they have no control over. And they can come and heal here. That is a blessing. But this is not a place where you heal and you put it in cruise for the rest of your life. This is a place where you get refilled up and say, hey, God has been good to me and I'm filled up and I'm ready to do something for him again. That is the purpose. That's what the church is all about. We're here to help, but we cannot overlook our own spiritual growth. And if you feel like you're in a situation right now, by the way, just separate time out, where you're, hey, pastor, I'm stretched to the max. I can't do uh, all of the things that I'm doing. I, I just can't. Talk to somebody. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in saying, hey, I can't do it all. Um, I, think I, I don't think I'll get in trouble for this. Um, I'll tell you all a story as long as you don't tell anybody. Um, and, um, I think it was last year. I'm pretty sure. It was either last year or the year before. We were in the middle of COVID. And uh, COVID time. And, uh, oh man, I can go along with this. Um, it, was, it was a difficult season. We were trying to do a lot and trying to still keep our hands on a lot. And Michelle and I were talking one day and Michelle just broke down. And she said, I cannot keep doing what we're doing. And it wasn't a thing of, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. It, it wasn't that extreme. It was, I can't keep the pace of what we're doing. I can't. And so everything stopped. I mean, it was like a, you know, final timeout. This is every, everything stops right now. And I said, what do you need? And she said, I just need rest. I just need us to stop and rest. And so we did that. We stopped and we rested. Now, I'm not talking about we took a nap. I'm talking about we cleared our schedule and said, hey, I'm sorry. We're going to have to wait on this appointment. We're going to have to do this later. We're going to have. We, when you get to that point, nothing else matters. How, how does it help the body of Christ if you flare out and you never want to minister ever again? It's better for you to say, hey, pastor, I, I need a month off. I, I know that I'm teaching a Sunday school class or I'm leading a growth group or I'm doing this and I'm serving here. I, I'm discipling. It's better for you to take a month off and recharge and come back stronger than it is for you to flare out and not be good to help anybody. And that's just practical. I, I appreciate the people who have come and, and some people are here tonight for growth groups who said, hey, pastor, I'm in growth groups and I'm in discipleship at the same time and I, I can't keep up, I can't do both. What do I do? You choose one. You don't flare out and say, man, I, I'm doing this study and I'm this study and this study and, and I'm having a hard time separating. Hey, pick one. Pick one. There's no shame in that. Pick one. Uh, we have a man who came up to me a couple weeks ago and he's a pastor, I'm in discipleship right now and I don't know which uh, of these growth groups to go to because I don't know if I can put one more thing on my schedule. And I said, don't. And he said, well, which one should I go to? I said, come in the main auditorium and sit and just learn and listen. I said, you might not get anything because I'm teaching, but, uh, you know, just listen. I said, you don't need to buy a book. Just come and listen. That's all you need to do. Focus on discipleship. Because from time to time, we overwork ourselves, don't we? All of us, guilty of that. Lastly, those with the gift of service must avoid the tendency to get sidetracked by more urgent 
needs. Uh, this just comes down to discretion. Okay, uh, Everybody has a need. We already talked about this. Just ask. Ask a lot of questions. Uh, but someone with a gift of service could open a can of worms and not be able to meet every need that's around them. Just because it's a need for somebody doesn't mean that it's your responsibility to meet the need. Now, Pastor, I, you know, I, just, I need help with my car and uh, my brakes are gone out. Can you come and help me? You don't want me to come and help you. You want Jamie to come and help you, not me to come and help you. Because I don't know, I'll break something. It'll be even worse, all right? Uh, but everybody has a need. Use discretion. Don't get sidetracked by more urgent needs. Oh, man, I, I'm in this thing. Pastor, I, I'm trying to help this person. and Oh, gracious, it's a whole lot bigger than I thought. Get out. Get out. There's no shame in saying, hey, brother, sis, I love you, and I'm praying for you. I'm here to help you, but I'm trying to fight all these other fires, and I'm sorry. Let me refer you to somebody. Let me help you. with. Let me, let, me, let me hand you off to somebody who's more equipped, better to help you. Do what you need to do. Don't get sidetracked. Use discretion. So spiritual gift, prophecy, speaking the truth, comes from the right source, willing to confront error, willing to take a hit personally, willing to be broken by the Lord to be used, service, a service, people say, I'm willing to put other people's needs above my own. I'm willing to be stretched. Uh, I'm willing to be with others. Hey, I'm willing to serve with other people. Uh, I'm not qualified. I, I'm inadequate for what I do. Um, I would like to hear thank you every now and then. The person with the gift of ministry. I, I would like to hear thank you. That would, that would give me a boost to help more people help again and again and again. All of those things, prophecy and ministry. Uh, next week, we'll talk about teaching, the spiritual gift of teaching. Um, and I can't remember, the maybe it's exhortation. We'll talk about two more gifts next week uh, in our study leading up over the next several weeks. Now listen, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And Michelle told me not to say this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. I love all of y'all. But I'm going to park my car right there outside that wall, and as soon as we say dismiss, I'm going to go right to that door and I'm going to leave here so I can go home and watch my team play in the Super Bowl. Is that okay? Ooh, yeah, Greg's going to be right behind me. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm joking, but kind of serious. Uh, so we're going to slide out fairly soon, fairly, fairly soon. Uh, but uh, if you need anything, please let us know. And uh, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. And y'all can slide out. Father, thank you for the evening. Lord, we ask that you please uh, speak to our hearts and uh, give us.